Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome Titans, Warlords, Enforcers, and any of you lovely new listeners to your Friday Creepy Tales. Today's stories are peculiar, strange, and wholly unusual. I have for you gross spiders crawling their way out of violated throats, devil plush toys, a bloody ghost story, and a haunted basement haunted by none other than a gore fiend teacher. Explicit content ahead, mate. I mean, that's a given. Not for little ears, and if you have smaller than average ears, listen at your own risk. <laughs> Just kidding. And before we begin, a huge shout out to my brand new Earl Grey Enforcer, Paige Kramer. Yeah! Mate, welcome to the Enforcer fold. I've made a brand new Earl Grey tea just for you, and I'm not kidding. I stopped recording to honor your support. <laughs> Raise your Earl Grey or any beverage you have, listeners, for our new Earl Grey Enforcer, Paige Kramer. It's a joy to have your support, and I'm very, very lucky. Thank you. Now turn off those lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something creepy. The worst experience to awaken to. My vision is blurred and dark as I open my eyes. I can feel immense pressure in my head as I realize that I'm hanging upside down. As the clarity of my vision returns, I notice that the room I am in is completely unfamiliar to me. It looks like a dark, old, and decrepit basement from an abandoned crack house, rotted wood, massive spiderwebs, and the smell of musk surrounding me. My initial instinct is to scream for help, but I stop myself before I do so. No, they'll hear you. I think to myself, whoever did this, they'll hear you if you scream. Instead, I decided to put all my focus into trying to free myself. My body is completely bound in some sort of sticky rope. I can hear the sound of cracking as it separates and re-sticks as I wiggle around. Whatever this stuff is, there is no freeing myself from it. I begin to panic as claustrophobia begins to set in. The idea of being bound and immobilized has always been a terrifying thought for me. The pressure of the blood rushing to my head from hanging upside down for so long soon begins to affect me. My vision starts to go blurry again, and the weight of my lungs begins to strain my breathing. Coupled with the anxiety of being in this predicament, I begin to lose it. My composure breaks as I begin to scream and cry. It's too much for me. Even if it means some psychopath comes and finishes me off, I can't stay like this any longer. Maybe I'd get lucky, and my kidnapper isn't here. Maybe my screams will be heard by a passerby, and they find me here, wherever here is. I scream and cry and scream as loud as my pressured lungs will allow. My vision soon begins to darken once again. But before I pass out, I notice something. There is a wooden staircase ahead of me and I soon begin to hear the sound of footsteps. They aren't heavy. More so, they sound like someone is walking with tap-dancing shoes. Are you awake, dear? 
I hear a calm, distant voice from upstairs. The figure begins to slowly walk down the stairs, metallic tapping with each step. I become speechless as I notice exactly who or what the figure is. Whatever this thing is, it's not human. At first glance, because of my affected vision, it appears to be a tall, slender woman. Long, tangled hair covers her face as she slowly approaches. As I pay closer attention, however, I notice two arms holding onto the railing and two more arms grabbing the ceiling above her. What I thought was tap-dancing shoes was revealed as long, bony legs with barb-like claws protruding from her feet. As I scream at the sight, she lifts her head to stare at me, massive mandibles opening wide as she lets out a horrible wail. Her six pairs of black eyes opening wide as she does so. She rushes over to me, two clawed hands grabbing my body and the other two grabbing my face. I can feel the warmth of urine as I lose all composure. I panic at her upside down face coming close to mine. The massive mandibles lock onto my face, digging into the four corners as I feel the horrible sensation of a fleshy disgusting tube enter my mouth. I struggle as I feel some kind of fluid go down, well, up my throat. A reflex failing me. As she finishes her violation, she backs away and retracts the mandibles into her face. They fold inward and eventually her face looks just like a normal woman. Her many eyes close shut but then she opens the two located in the normal area where human eyes would be. No longer are the eyes a tar-like black like before, but a regular pair of brown human eyes. As I observe her now human-looking face, I recognize who she is. It all comes back to me who she is and where I was before I woke up here. You, I say, as I try to forcefully vomit whatever was now inside of me. I had met her at the coffee shop where I work. She came in, struck up a conversation, and we had immediately hit it off. By the end of the night, I found myself at her apartment and in her bed. I remember after we did the deed, I began to get lightheaded. I went to the bathroom and splashed water on my face. As I stared at my reflection, my vision went dark and I passed out right then and there. That was the last thing I remember before I woke up, hanging upside down by what I previously thought was a rope, but am now convinced is some kind of webbing. Hello, dear, she sings in a calm and relaxed tone. Thank you so much for such a wonderful time. She turns around, folding her extra arms behind her back and retracts her claws into her fingers. As she walks back up the stairs, she stops and says one last thing. I know you'll take good care of them. I'm so happy I met you. You'll make sure they're well fed and grow to be big and strong. Every horrible possibility of what she meant races through my mind. I begin to panic once again, screaming and crying out for someone, anyone, to help. I soon begin to feel something in my stomach. Oh, no. 
I cry out aloud. The pain is excruciating, and it feels like something is tearing me out from the inside. I scream as loud as I can, and I feel bile coming from my throat, pouring onto the floor. Almost immediately, I pass out and awaken in a bed. I sit up quickly and realize I'm in my room, in my bed. I begin to sob as I realize that it was all a horrible dream. I walk into my bathroom and splash water on my face. I stare at my reflection and realize I look like absolute shit. My complexion is pale like a corpse, and the rings under my eyes add to that comparison. Suddenly, I gag, and bile expels from my mouth. The pain is unlike anything else. I grab my abdomen reflexively and notice something odd. I feel around with my hands and realize there are dozens of tiny lumps. They are moving around under my skin, inside my body. I scream and scream as they move their way up my body until they reach my throat. Soon after, dozens of bird-sized spiders emerge from my mouth as their sharp, clawed feet scratch the inside of my throat as they climb their way out. I try to scream, but my voice is blocked as one after the other. These small monsters are birthed from my esophagus. Once again, I pass out from the pain, the panic, and the exhaustion. I awake, still on the bathroom floor. The lights are still on and I feel all around my body. I feel skinny, like all of the fat and muscle has been sucked out of me. I am barely strong enough to stand, but I somehow mustered the strength to use the bathroom sink to pick myself up. In my reflection, I notice that I look even worse than before. I'm even paler, but now black liquid stains my mouth, chin, and chest. I hear shuffling come from my bedroom, and I slowly approach the door, shaking. I open it, and the shock of what I see leaves me speechless. All around the room, there are children, small, normal-looking toddlers, completely naked and covered in black slime sit and stand all around the room. I have no words. I have no idea what to do. I try to speak, but only a small peep comes out. As soon as they hear the sounds of my words failing to come out, they they focus their attention on me. There is an uneasy silence as I stare at them, and they stare at me. Suddenly, four more sets of eyes open wide as they all let out high-pitched shrieks, their mouths opening wide to reveal horrible-looking mandibles. They rush over to me, and I scream. As they latch on, I fall to the floor and mentally prepare myself to be eaten alive. But that doesn't happen. They are hugging me. Tiny arms are wrapped around my arms, legs, and body as they rub their tiny, horrible-looking faces on me. I want to scream, but I don't want to set them off. One of them looks at me right in the eyes, a creepy-looking smile forming as it retracts its mandibles back into its face, the tiny black eyes staring into me. I suppose this means today is my first Father's Day.
Such as Ghost. There was nothing particularly remarkable about the sentence she had just come to. The at one point exciting novel had lapsed into dullness. Merely the red spot above the word ghost commanded attention. She couldn't think what it was, or how it had been made on a page she'd only seconds ago opened to in a book she had purchased anew. She scratched it with her fingernail, and the circular spot quickly became a line along the pattern of her nail's movement, permeating the inside of the O. This indicated that the spot was liquid in nature and fresh in origin. Then, another spot caught her eye, between the words such and as. In the next sentence, it was much bigger than the first spot, and she was sure it had not been there a few seconds ago. She sat in awe, watching the redness seep into the paper and blot out the printed words, unsure of what to make of this. The third spot had clearly dropped from above. Afraid they were drops of blood from an unnoticed wound, she touched her hand to her cheek to feel if she was bleeding. To her horror, half of her hand came back covered in red, semi-congealed blood. She dropped the book and raced to the bathroom. The entire right side of the frightened face in the mirror was a bloody mess. She pressed a towel against her face to clear away the blood and locate the wound from which had somehow issued without her awareness. She was quite shaken when she found that her face had been cut up like a jigsaw puzzle. Deep wounds, looking to be from a razor blade, formed a triangle below her right eye, and a series of linear cuts radiated from each apex like the branches of a tree, extending to her chin, her ear, and the bridge of her nose. The flesh around the triangle was darkened and pulled away from the cuts as if it had been burned to cauterize it, but blood seeped from the other cuts immediately covering the patterns with growing pools of crimson. She had absolutely no idea how something like that could have happened, since she had spent the last 30 or 40 minutes reading alone. Adding to the oddness, her face looked as though she'd been crying, and her hair was a mess, but those were merely unsettling side notes. New tears filled her eyes. She had to do something. She had been attacked and needed medical attention. She rushed to the phone, preparing to call 911. But after picking up the receiver, she thought about the situation. What would she say? That she had just started bleeding spontaneously a few seconds ago, and now suddenly looked like she'd been thoroughly sliced up with a box cutter? They would think she was psychotic, and had done it to herself. She put down the receiver and took notice of the digital clock by the phone. It read 8.31. She looked at that same clock 10 minutes before, perhaps 15 and it was 4.17. A quick glance at the window confirmed the new reading. It was dark out and the stars were visible. She could not comprehend what was happening, but knew she had to do something. She could feel the blood streaming down her neck, soaking into her blouse. She was not in a state of mind to think of options that weren't likely to end with her being sent to the psychiatric ward. Her sister, she could call her, and she would take her seriously and know what to do. Unfortunately, she had not memorized her new number. She ran over to get her cell phone, which had it stored in its memory, but tripped over something. There was a plastic box full of photographs lying in the middle of the room. It shouldn't have been there, nor should the other boxes from the shelves, which had been opened and emptied all over the floor. Someone had been going through her things. She looked around at the room, rearranged without her noticing, as her vision grew hazy. Her last thoughts of reaching the cell phone in her purse as she lapsed into unconsciousness 
from a combination of hysteria and blood loss. The Aesthetic Ones My grandmother owned one of the scariest looking houses I have ever seen. My grandmother is a cripple and is incapable of using her legs, but can still get around to taking care of herself even in a wheelchair. Overall, aside from the creepy looking home, she's a pretty kind person. Her home consisted of two floors, seven bedrooms, and one bathroom. In one of the bedrooms, she had shelves full of very disturbing looking stuffed bears that highly resembled scarecrows. Unfortunately, I had the distinct pleasure of sleeping in that room every weekend, surrounded by them. They would stare emptily at me until I would finally fall asleep. Apparently, I would scream in the middle of the night. Also, my grandmother would tell me when I got up in the morning. I never remember a single thing about the night before. The same thing happened every Saturday and Sunday. Fall asleep under the empty stairs of those stuffed monstrosities, scream in the middle of the night, and be told about it from grandmother in the morning. I snapped. I just couldn't take it anymore. I pleaded with grandmother to remove those hideous abominations from the bedroom. She gladly removed them and the nightmares stopped. I was nightmare free for three weeks. However, on the fourth week, I had a nightmare. The scarecrow bears had returned to the shelves and their looks were much more menacing than in my previous dreams. They dropped from the shelves one by one and landed on my bed, surrounding me. I yelled at them to get back, but they continued to advance towards me. Fear gripped me and I couldn't move a single muscle in my body. The scarecrow bears crawled on top of me and pinned me to the bed. One of them had a ball of yarn and a needle in their plush paws. It threaded the needle and bent it towards my face. It pressed the needle into my upper lip. I was weeping from the intense pain as it pulled the needle out of my mouth. It raised the needle up, pulling the string through the hole in my lip, and then it stabbed my bottom lip. I soon found myself unable to speak at all. I wanted desperately to scream, but the threads crisscrossing my mouth made it impossible. I attempted to move, but it seemed like those things weighed as much as a person. I couldn't move at all. I woke up covered in sweat. I checked to make sure that there was no scarecrow bears in the room. I was relieved as hell when I realized that it had just been a dream. But it was by far the most realistic one I had ever had. I decided not to tell grandmother about the experience because I didn't want her to worry about me. The dream was the only thing I could think about for the rest of the day. Those abominations sawing my mouth closed made me shudder. I was too afraid to go to sleep that night, so I just stayed up reading a book. It was midnight and I was feeling drowsy. My eyelids slowly started to close and before I could stop myself, I was asleep. A sudden menacing laugh made me open my eyelids again. I was tied to my bed. To my horror, the menacing laughter was coming from the scarecrow bears. They had surrounded my bed again and stared at me with the same menacing look on their faces. I screamed as loud as I could, pleading for my grandmother to help me. No one can help you now. One of the bears cooed. All the bears started laughing manically. They turned to an object at the foot of my bed, covered in a white sheet that blended perfectly with the walls of the room. If you didn't look closely, you would miss it. One of the scarecrow bears pulled the cover from the object. 
As the cover fell from the object, I screamed in absolute horror. It was my grandmother, crucifixed to a giant wooden cross. Her eye sockets were empty and her mouth was sewn shut. I screamed for help again and again, but no one came to my aid. I was sobbing to myself, wishing that this was just another nightmare. No, this is no dream. You'll soon be part of our collection. The same scarecrow bear spoke again. The other bears began laughing again as they climbed on top of me. I knew exactly what was going to happen next. One of the bears emerged from the crowd and held out a ball of yarn in one paw and a needle in the other. It slowly walked towards my face. I begged them to stop, but they only laughed harder. This was it. There was no way out. This was my final hour, and just before it started to stitch my mouth shut, a thought came to me. I would call them the Aesthetic Ones. Just in an instant after the thought passed my mind, my eyelids flung open. I got up, sweating in tears. The sun was shining through my bedroom windows and also took note that it was 7.31am. I looked around me, no bears, no empty shelves. I thought to myself, what could have happened to them? And most of all, why the nightmare? The array of thoughts running through my head made me feel insecure like I was being watched. None of this made any sense at all. I soon started hearing a rattling noise echoing outside my door. I quickly got out of bed, expecting it to be my grandmother checking up on me. I opened the door and checked outside the corridor to see her, but nothing came into view. I quickly ran to her bedroom to check up on her. I turned the doorknob, and as soon as I got inside, I found nothing but an empty bed. I started feeling a sense of worry and insecurity. What if something had happened to her? I would not dare to think of the possibilities, and soon the same rattling noise started echoing through my ears once again. My heart started intently beating back and forth as I turned the knob, terrified of what I would find on the other side of the door. Once I was out in the corridor, I saw something that sent shivers down my spine. An empty wheelchair. Growing up, I always had plenty of books to read. Now, my family and I lived in a modified schoolhouse from a long time ago, so my house always had a creaky, creepy feel to it. It used to be two classrooms, one upstairs and one downstairs. The lower floor became the primary classroom after leaks had ruined the upper floor, but renovations made it a house today, probably why a lot of kids never wanted to come over. Being a only child was, as you can guess, quite boring. Most of you who are only children will know what I mean. I could always go out and get friends, but I just wasn't very good at talking. So my parents thought that books would be a good way for me to kill my time. I was only about six when they brought me a whole bunch of books from my childhood. They were those cheap paperback kind that you see at the bottom shelf of most bookstores with bright illustrations of kids riding bikes or dragons and having adventures with their friends while finding lost treasures. There were so many, I wasn't able to finish all of them. In our basement, we had a row of wooden cabinets below a countertop against the wall. In one of these cabinets is where I kept my vast collection of books. 
I was able to read them after school every day and still, they took my six-year-old mind a while to go through. Nevertheless, I loved it with a passion anyway. Eventually, I just lost interest. My parents had gotten me one of those new video game consoles and of course, a bright screen outweighed boring paper any day. That cabinet just slipped my mind from then on. I never opened it again. Days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, and months turned to years. After finishing high school, it was time for college. Summer went by quick and I leave for the university tomorrow. I had finished packing all my bags and my parents had just gone to bed. My car was ready for the 8 hour drive tomorrow morning and so I would have to go to bed early tonight. I walked down the stairs to my room. After getting a sobbing hug from my mother and an awkward one from my father, I carried my backpack down with me, keeping it open as I trotted downward. As I shuffled contents about, a bottle of water fell from the side of my bag and rolled down the steps. Going down after it, I heard it hit the bottom. I flicked the lights and saw it against the wall. Walking over, I picked it up, but then I paused for a moment. It had rolled into a wooden cabinet. Curiosity poked my mind as I simply swung it open, and inside, I couldn't believe what I saw. Dust. Everywhere. Coughing, I waved my hand around to get rid of the thick clouds from the door's motion. After settling, I saw the outlines of what it had gathered on. Naturally, I ran my index finger on the dusty surface, leaving a long line of color. Raising an eyebrow, I picked the object up, blowing on it, a small child book. It had a picture of a very young girl making cookies, and above her head the words read, Cindy's Big Bake. On the corner, with black marker, had the name Jason Klein, written, my name. Flipping through the pages, memories gushed back. These were my books I had so long ago. I read through them quickly, seeing as how most were only just 20 pages. After a while, I began to read more and more books that I didn't even remember. Of course, there were a lot. There was no way I could read them all. Within half an hour, they were almost all gone. Then, there was one book left on the shelf. Pulling it off, I read the title, Correct Classroom Behavior. My name wasn't on this one, and judging by its yellowish pages, this must have been in this cabinet before my family even moved in here. Opening it slowly, I began to read the book. Correct Classroom Behavior, it said behind the cover. No author's name was given. I turned the page again and saw a bunch of students running about a classroom. Paper aeroplanes flew about and spitballs were stuck on the walls. Above the picture, the text read, Children can be very naughty, very naughty indeed, especially to their teacher, sweet old Mrs. Sneed. On the other page, it showed a very old woman. She wore thick rimmed glasses and her hair was a dark grey, cut short and curling atop her head. She had a yellow dress with pink daisies on it, but her expression is what caught me. She seemed scared. Her eyes had immense detail, and she looked at me as though she desperately wanted to tell me something. Something horrible. But she was just a picture. Turning the page, I continued on. The next scene showed Mrs. Sneed sitting at her desk as the children ran about. Come now, Mrs. Sneed. Don't be shy. Don't make these kids think you'll turn the other eye. Mrs. Sneed looked at the ground sadly, her bony hands resting on her desk as her face showed regret and an extreme sense of self-hate as the kid stood on the other side of her desk, sticking out his tongue and making faces at her. I turned the page slowly. 
wondering what she was so afraid of. This time I read the text first. I'm glad I did. Now, now, Mrs. Sneed, take those safety scissors. These kids will learn from cuts and blisters. The picture showed Mrs. Sneed with an outraged look, scissors in one hand and latching onto the kid's hand with the other. The child screamed and cried as Mrs. Sneed cut the webbing of his fingers. Her teeth bared in anger as she did so. My mouth opened slightly and I blinked, taking in the page before me. It was a disturbing read, yes, but it was still just a book. I turned the page again. Great job, Mrs. Sneed. You're a teaching prodigy. Now isn't it time you teach them biology? The picture showed Mrs. Sneed with her scissors at the ready, the child laying on her desk. She had snipped away all the tendons on his knees, elbows, and on the sides of his mouth. She was now snipping his stomach open, showing his intestines to the class. Children in the seat were crying, some covering their mouths while others just tried to avoid looking. They all looked pale, genuinely scared for their lives now. I gagged slightly at the sight of that child's intestines spilling on the table as that teacher had cut him open, and I hurriedly turned the page. What a great class. What a great class indeed. That class was your last, right, Mrs. Sneed? It read, as the kids walked out of the schoolhouse, some had blood on the bottom of their legs, and they all still looked extremely pale. Some were hugging each other as they walked, sobbing and trying to breathe by using each other's support. In the doorway, Mrs. Sneed stood, her face void of emotion as she watched the children leave, her dress splattered with blood. I turned the page again, feeling it was the last one. It wasn't a page. The last page of the book was a photograph, one of a classroom. Chairs and tables were flipped over, the walls had rot on them. Paper decorations were torn and peeling all over the walls, but that isn't what caught me. In the center, a woman with leathery brown skin, dry and cracking on her body. Her hair hung in very loose patches on her peeling head. Her lips had dried up, and her blotchy yellow teeth were bared directly at me. Her empty eye sockets carried a never-ending stare as her eyes had rotted and fallen out long ago. She wore a beat-up yellow dress, dried red blood all over it. A few pink daisies here and there, and around her neck was a rope, which suspended her from the ceiling. In marker at the bottom, a few words were written. Thanks, Mrs. Sneed. Your work is done. We learned a lot and sure had fun. I closed the book and stood up, turning around slowly. I recognized my basement. I mean, I always knew what it was. Of course, it was my basement. But now I knew what it really was. It was the classroom from the book. Walking slowly, I took it all in. All the school things were gone, and just a bunch of junk was stored here. But a woman didn't really hang herself down here, right? Lost in thought, I didn't see where I was going, and I tripped. My glasses fell off, and I mumbled, feeling around for them. My hand touched something that felt like glasses. And I stood up, adjusting them. I brought out my phone and looked at the black screen. These weren't my glasses. What the reflection showed was a pair of thick-rimmed glasses, cracks in the lenses, and along the rim was the name, Mrs. Sneed.
Listeners, I hope you liked your tales today. I focused more on mystery and strangeness today, which means the tales don't often have a crazy climax, but a slow burn instead. I understand that this isn't everyone's cup of tea at times, but for me, I really love the variety that these kinds of stories bring, and I also feel that this kind of diversity keeps things interesting. I'll include the stories in the show notes as well, so you can read them at your leisure. Now, if you like what I do, well, there's good news. (laughs) I love doing this show so much that I upload three times a week. So be sure to subscribe so you get a variety of different tales weekly. If you enjoy the show, I'd love an iTunes review. And if you love what I do, then visit my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT to donate and support the show. Just like Paige Kramer, where all support goes back into production. For more stories, improved audio quality, and specialist tools to remaster old-time radio episodes, it all goes to a good cause. And speaking of wonderful people that support the show, my old night tea titan, Maya, the queen of cats. Thank you so much for your jaw-dropping support, and thanks to you, I'm able to cover off my Epidemic Sound subscription. What's that? Well, it's what gives us all the vomiting sound effects, the crazy cool audio stings, and the brilliant audio soundscapes. And my long-term listeners really know that I have a penchant towards a really good vomit sound. The grosser, the better, right? Thank you, Maya, for helping everyone on this podcast have exposure to high-quality vomit. (laughs) Jokes aside, thank you so, so much, mate. My white tea warlord, the Lesosaurus Rexus, the man who super kicks this show's video editing skills into overdrive. I've been able to use Vidvio Video, tongue twister, to spruce up my online videos and make the audio experience into a more visual one. Thanks to your donation, in a couple of months, that's all paid off. You, sir, are a legend, and you're also helping others experience this podcast in a totally different way. Thank you, Lesa. You're bloody awesome. And to my old grain forces, the peeps that put a pep in my bouncy little step, I am lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker One, Divided by Zero, and my new addition, Paige Kramer. Woohoo! We'll be in touch, mate, via email. Thank you all for being amazing and supporting the show, and I'm stoked to have yet another El Grey Enforcer, and yet again, I'm reminded of how brilliant people are out there. Thank you for your kindness. Have a kick-ass weekend, and as always, till next we meet.